Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 131 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. We got um, a guest today that I think a lot of you probably already know. You probably read his stuff, Not a Fan. I think has sold over a million copies, which is crazy. And that's how a lot of you got to know him. His name is Kyle Eidelman, and he is one of the teaching pastors at Southeast Christian Church and just a fantastic young leader. And so we kind of do a retrospective of his time in ministry, his ups, his downs, the things that worked that didn't work. Uh, planting a church at 22 that grew to a thousand and then becoming an extremely young teaching pastor at uh, one of the nation's leading mega churches and what that was like, plus a little bit about his, his brand new book that uh, he'll talk about as well. So, so thrilled to have Kyle Eidelman here and so thrilled to have you guys along for the journey once again this week. Thanks so much for all that you do to share the word about this podcast. And hey, thanks for checking in too. You know, I, I love podcasting. I mean, I'm a big listener, so Little tip, if you like behind-the-scenes stuff, people always ask me, what do you listen to? Well, I listen to a ton of leadership podcasts and business podcasts, but here's one I stumbled on. It's not brand new, and it's just like a short series, but it's called Making Oprah. And if you love the behind-the-scenes stories like I do, it's a fantastic podcast. I'm listening to that one these days. And, you know, podcasting is cool because it kind of goes with you wherever you are, whether that's, you know, some of you are on your commute right now to work, some of you are on a run or at the gym or you're cooking dinner or, you know, you're doing yard work or, you know, whatever you're doing. But that's what I love about podcasts. They just feel like really personal. And it's funny, every once in a while, have you ever had this experience where you just get an insight and like you remember exactly what you were doing? I was washing the left fender of my car when this guy dropped this, you know, pearl of wisdom that I still remember to this day. I've got like moments like that um, as a listener. So Hey, wherever you are today, just thanks for connecting. And uh, that's a little tip if you enjoy podcasts. That's one that I'm enjoying right now as I record this. And it's short. It's just it's just fun. Hey, um, by the way, I would love for you guys to join us for a couple of live events that are coming up. Uh, we've got the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, and it is almost sold out. In fact, by the time you hear this, it might be sold out. So if you're in Canada and want to get together to help Canadian church leaders reach more people, and you want to just open up your notebook for a few days, uh, build some relationships, go to CanadianChurchLeadersConference.com. I'm hosting that conference here in Canada in June and would love to have you as a part of it. Rates go up on Friday. And speaking of rates go up, I will also be at the Rethink Leadership event in Atlanta in April. So uh, you can go to that if you're American. Uh, We had someone, I think, from Singapore last year, which is crazy. They heard about it on this podcast and like flew halfway around the world to be with Rethink Leadership and had a great time. It's April 26th through the 28th in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, We're going to be at the John C. Maxwell Leadership Center. It's an incredible time together of just leadership and learning. Uh, Roundtables, not rows. You're going to be hearing from some of today's top leaders, and you will still be able to save money uh, if you register by March 16th. So rates go up on, on the 17th, but if you register 
by, well, within just a couple of days of this episode going live, you'll be able to get the best rates. So we still have a few tickets available for that. Would love to have you join us in Atlanta or just north of Toronto for the Canadian Church Leaders Conference. Also, thank you so much to all of you who um, take the time to really explore what some of our podcast partners offer. Uh, I am so grateful for Trained Up. They've come alongside this podcast. They make sure that you continue to get this content for free all the time, and uh, we can do incredible things because of their generosity and support. So do them a favor and just head over to trainedup.org because it's an organization that is helping churches train its leaders. Um, A lot of us have done you know, real life training all of our lives. And we discover that not everybody shows up, not everybody pays attention. How do you know if your training is really sticking? Well, what if you could actually reach 100% of your team with your training and you actually could find out who did it and who didn't? I mean, it's pretty cool. So a lot of you in smaller churches, you may not have the resources to develop your own platform, but frankly, large churches and mega churches are using Trained Up as well because why reinvent the wheel if it's been invented? So it's your content. They provide the platform to train your volunteer teams and even your staff online. Go to trainedup.org. And thank you so much to Scott Magdalene and all the folks there uh, for their helpful support of this podcast and making sure that you get equipped as a leader. So really excited to jump into our conversation today with Kyle Eidelman. And remember, if you hear anything along the way that you're kind of like, oh, wow, I want more, just go to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 131. Here's my conversation with Kyle. Well, Kyle, welcome to the podcast. I'm really, really glad you're here. So uh, I've been excited to have you here. Early in your ministry, we have so many church planters listening. You started a church, Real Life Church in California. Let, let's start there. Tell us all about that and why you did it. And you you were pretty young at the time too, weren't you? Yeah, I was uh, 22 years old. And um, at that time, church planting was not quite as popular as it is today, or at least there weren't, maybe a better way to say that, there weren't as many resources, um, conferences and such. So I didn't know a lot about church planting. Uh, I remember maybe a week of it in a missions class that I took in college, but I didn't know much about it. But I knew I was called to preach and to teach, and I had tried to find a job where I could preach and teach, and nobody was calling me back. So I thought, you know... Uh, maybe I should just start my own church. And uh, I was 22 and uh, naive enough to think that that might not be that hard to do. Uh, so I had a, <laughs> an incredible opportunity, really, from um, Shepherd of the Hills Church in um, Los Angeles County to yeah. come yeah. and to start a new church, uh, but to start with a group, core group of, of people from that church. Uh, these were the days before uh, satellites. And so they knew they had a large contingency of members uh, that were coming from North LA County to their church. And uh, they graciously invited me to come start a new church with those, with those leaders. And, um, and it was, uh, it was a great adventure. And it was a good thing that I was naive because I, you know, I didn't know how dependent I uh, was on, on, uh, on God helping us through that. But, um, but yeah, it was a, a great journey. Now, what year was that that you launched Real Life Church? It was in ninety nine two thousand. Right yeah, there. yeah. So, what were what were some of the lessons from those early days? If you want to encourage church planters or people who are just starting out in ministry, what were some things you did right, and what are some moments you wish you could get back now, if you could? Well, so, 
at first it was very lonely and I didn't know how much I needed to have someone to partner with. And so when someone else came on our team, I found that I had much more courage, much more energy, uh, much more focus. When I was by myself in it, I was overwhelmed and, uh, you know, operating out of fear more often than not. So I would say, you know, one lesson was you need a brother. You need somebody yeah. to, to go on that uh, adventure with you. You know, even if it's just staying connected to, to someone um, as a mentor relationship, you, you need somebody to talk to. And I didn't I didn't know that I I uh, overestimated or maybe I should say I underestimated how necessary that was. Isn't that interesting? If I can just ask you, you said something really fascinating to me, which is your courage increased as you stopped being isolated. I mean, we have this ideal in our culture, right, of the lone individual who bravely goes where nobody has gone before. But you found the opposite to be true. Talk, talk to us about that, that your courage increased as your community deepened. Yeah. And, you know, it is a biblical idea that Jesus yeah. would send the, his disciples out in pairs. Right. But, um, yeah, I have True. read numerous uh, biographies and such of entrepreneurs and church planters, and it seemed like typically it was, you know, the hero's journey. It was one yeah. person going out, and and um, and I think perhaps that probably was a more traditional model for church planting back in the day. But um, but yeah, when I had somebody to um, to be with me on that journey, it it just it allowed me to have better perspective. You know, my wife did that for me to a, a large degree, but y- you know, I, at the time I had three little kids and I, I didn't want to, um, bring that weight home and put it on her on a regular basis. Uh, to be honest, I, I probably, you know, she was stronger than, than I knew. And I, I probably could have done that, uh, in a more vulnerable uh, way than I did. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, she had plenty on her plate too. So, uh, yeah, so having, having somebody to, uh, go into battle with you is, uh, is a big deal. No, that's good to know. And so where did you come up with like your philosophy or approach in those days? Because I mean, 99, 2000, we weren't as connected. The internet was dial up, right? You had to travel yep. somewhere to go get new information is it just like, well, here I am, I'm starting a church? Was it like that strategic or what was it for you? You know, I um, I had a guy, Dave Ferguson. From, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this was quite a long time ago, right? But he he reached out to me and just basically said, hey, I'm, I'm here if you need any help. And, uh, you know, that was a big deal to me. That that was a great encouragement to me to have a, a, a few people because Shepherd of the Hills Church that was helping launch our church had never done that before. This was mm. the first time they had done that. So they were learning as well. Um, so, you know, we were kind of growing in that together, but there were, you know, there were a few uh, people who, who knew what I was going through and out of their way to um, reach out to me and encourage me without me initiating it or asking for it. And uh, I didn't know to do that or who to do that with, but, uh, I'm very thankful for that in hindsight. Oh, that's that's really really cool. Now, you had another a couple a lot of unusual things have happened over the course of your ministry, but one of them is you ended up leaving Real Life Church in California and heading off to Southeast Christian, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. 
And normally what happens is after a founder leaves, and, and the church plant was fairly successful, like it wasn't a failure at all, it was going well, but you left after how many years? How many years were you there? Uh, two years. Two years, yeah. So you you exit after two years. And um, Rusty George took over. He's been a previous guest on this podcast, and it's actually gone extremely well. Now, you don't always hear that, right? Normally, the person who comes after a successful planter is sort of the sacrificial lamb, <laughs> and away you go. What talk, Walk us through that process and tell us why you think that transition actually worked. You know, it's funny. I, I hit 40 this year, and two uh-huh. years to me now seems like no time at all. Right. When I was, you know, 22, 23, two years seemed like a pretty long time. I remember yeah. that. It did to me too. Now a decade doesn't feel that long anymore, which maybe is not good. But but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, right? When you're 22, it's like six months. I can't wait that long. Well, I remember, you know, having some fairly negative response to the fact that I was leaving after two years and being a little out of heart to it by like, well, you know, Paul never stayed anywhere longer than two years. Well, <laughs> right. I don't understand. I, I, I understand it now. You know, uh-huh. I, I didn't at the time, but I, but I certainly do now. Um, the church was very unusual in that because it started from such a strong core group, it was it was healthy. It was financially uh, independent. It, you know, we had you know a little under a thousand people in attendance every week. Um, you know, a great staff that um, um, you know that was was doing a tremendous job. So it was, you know, it it, it was two years, but on the other hand, it was a more mature. Uh, church plant because of the uh, Shepherd of the Hills uh, involvement early on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, God is so gracious because, um, you know, it's been a great fit for Rusty. I, I've seen what Rusty has done there. And I've, listen, I, I wasn't wired to do that. I, it, those challenges would have worn me out. Uh, the mm. challenges of building in Los Angeles County, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to navigate um, a lot of those things. Um, and, and so, you, you know, God, God knew what he was doing. And it's, it's much easier to say now because, you know, things are going really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I, I learned a lot through that experience and Hey, he, you know, he loves that church more than, than I do. God loves that church more than I do. And as, 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 uh, much as at the time it felt a little bit like, kind of giving a child up for adoption that might be too strong but <laughs> but it, it it felt you know it was it was hard um but it didn't take long to see that that rusty was you know god's right man at the right time for what was happening there i don't know the whole backstory i mean i know rusty but like how did you end up selecting rusty at the end of the day how did he end up being the the person that you yeah. tapped on the shoulder well uh, Rusty and I went to the same school, so um, I, had, I had known Rusty for a long time, and um, yeah, I knew he was a, a great communicator and um, and had been in, in a great church uh, from a leadership standpoint. And so I talked to our leaders at, uh, at Real Life, and I think I gave them two, two names of people, and uh, that I would thought, man, if, if one of them would come, that would be tremendous. And, um, and one of them was, so one of those people was rusty and, uh, they, you know, they worked that out and got that all connected, taken care of rusty. And I of course talked, you know, throughout that, but, um, 
but yeah, it's been a, a incredible fit. Cool. That's cool. Now you moved at a pretty young age over to Southeast Christian, where you are now, one of the largest churches in America and one of the first mega churches, I think, right? Under Bob Russell's leadership. No, I guess it's probably, yeah, I guess that probably would be right. Yeah. So why did you go? Why did you decide I'm going to leave this church plant? I'm going to go Southeast Christian. I mean, I'm sure the call of God was involved, but like walk us through, like, what did that look like? What did that mean? Yeah, so I had done an internship here when I was in school, and they had asked me to come and uh, kind of think about this role. Uh, and I wasn't very interested in it, uh, to be honest. I liked what I was doing in, in uh, California, but um, because they asked me to consider it and check it out, my wife and I came here and uh, met with the leaders. And, and when we were praying about it, uh, you know, we we really did feel a strong call to do it. And uh that surprised both of us, really. I, I can I can say again in hindsight that um, you know God really needed to put me in a season of uh, preparation, mm-hmm. <laughs> say a little bit longer. I, you know, it's it it was really valuable for me to spend time with people that could um, teach me and sharpen me and challenge me. And I I I didn't know it at the time, but um, but I certainly needed that. And mm. um, and from a gift and standpoint, um, you know, being in a place where I can, uh, preach and teach and, and write and focus on some of those things, um, has, has been, has been really good. So it was really that role that you stepped into. It hasn't morphed a lot over the last decade and a half. That's no, really, Christian. Really? Well, yeah. Same role. Mm-hmm. So it's, you were teaching a, at a large church, very young. I was, I was 26 when I was, uh, was teaching here, and if, if if you asked me now, I would I would never let a twenty six year old. <laughs> job. The uh, no, you know what I loved about that opportunity was that you had someone you know about sixty, somebody who was you know in their forties, somebody who was in their twenties, and so it, it created a, a very natural multi generational church. I, I still love that about this church. It's it's uh, you know it's a it's a church where all generations are worshiping together. So it was, um, it was a great opportunity. Hmm. And what do you, uh, like, what were some of the challenges? Cause we do have a ton of young leaders listening who are in their mid twenties right now and stepping into leadership roles that probably feel too big for them. Um, what, what advice yeah. would you have for them as, as they find themselves in that situation? You know, I, I try not to, Hey, this sound overly spiritual, but you know, I, I honestly do believe that um, you know, learning the to be dependent on God and His strength, and you know, where Paul talks about in Second Corinthians that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. I, I can I can see this much more clearly now. But that the very areas um, I was most incompetent um, were, were areas where God could show off His strength, and mm-hmm. um, and I boy, I, I think that that's that you can have a lot of faith in that, that you don't need to to hide from those weaknesses or from those areas where you feel inadequate, but that you can, as Paul says, celebrate them. You can, um, you don't have to be ashamed of them and, and pretend like you're strong in an area you're not. You can ask for help and, um, and, and God, God demonstrates his strength in that. So I, you know, I am, I'm very thankful for that. I remember when, oh, the church had maybe been going six months or so. And I was, yeah, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by it. Uh, mm. Not sleeping that great. Started taking some sleeping medication, which I yeah. was, and 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 uh, 
and and I remember, um, you know, one night waking up and having this very strange sense. Uh, this sounds weird, but I had this very strange sense that God was laughing at me, not not what you want. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not a and, typical biblical experience. But go oh, ahead. And and it may have been, you know, the Mexican from the night before. I yeah, don't know. yeah, yeah. I'm just telling you. So the so, uh, and I didn't think too much of it. And then a number of years later. I was moving out of the house we were in, and I uh, was sliding my my desk, which is a real heavy desk. I, I was sliding it across the floor. My son, who was like three or four at the time, came over and started helping me try to push this desk. And and um, we were kind of inching it along when he he looked up at me and and told me I was in his way. And uh, and I, you know, like all right, I kind of laughed at him, and I didn't. I had been again a number of years, and almost as soon as I kind of laughed at that comment, I was brought back to that moment where, in the middle of that church plant, I sensed God was kind of laughing at me, wow. and uh, and it and it kind of, you know, it it made sense to me that I I thought I was pushing the desk, you know, I <laughs> thought, man, if I don't move this thing along, it's not going to happen, and you know. And just the reminder that we, you know, we're not pushing the desk. We we are um, humbly making ourselves available to God. We are being faithful to his word and what he's called us to. But at the end of the day, you know, that he makes it grow. He he makes the, you know, he, he pushes the desk. And so I, I, I think just the constant uh, reminder of being dependent on, on his strength is, uh, you know, it's what makes the makes the journey doable. That is such a great story and a great metaphor. It's so true. I think you just owned a lot of leaders who are listening. When you went into that position, would you say you were in a place of security or you felt more insecurity? I mean, that's a pretty overwhelming task for a young leader. (laughs) I was in a place of naivete. (laughs) You know, I was secure, but had no reason to be. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, it, it, uh, yeah, I'm I'm thankful for that. Honestly, I yeah. I um I did feel secure, but I I I still had so much to uh, to learn, and um, so I'm thankful for God's grace in it. It's a pretty remarkable story at Southeast Christian because I mean it was founded by Bob Russell and became one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the United States for many many years. Uh, transition is a big issue for this generation. A lot of Uh, Bob's contemporaries and those who have followed after him are facing that, wow, I'm not 20 anymore. I'm not 30. I've led this thing for decades. How do I hand it off? What happens? And you guys have had some success with that. Dave Stone, and I mean, they brought on a young leader like you as well. Um, What are you learning on the inside of Southeast Christian about how to do that well? Because I know I hear from young leaders all the time, who have maybe, you know, senior pastors in their 50s or 60s. And actually, Barna just released a a detailed survey that says that the average age of pastors in America has increased by a decade over the last 25 years, from mid-40s to mid-50s. So I think the average pastor is now 55. So, And I run into a lot of church staff who are like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Who knows what the succession plan is? What, what what have you learned on the inside of Southeast Christian about healthy transitions? And then maybe what are some things that didn't go well that you can you can share? You know, one of the things that I'm surprised by is how 
Um, a lot of guys, they don't even think about this, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. they, I'm never going to get old. Yeah, it doesn't. The, the conversation hasn't taken place. Um, they they just haven't really thought about what that would look like. And so I, I think, you know, I truly appreciate how Bob did that early on as he recognized that um, he needed to share um, that preaching load and um, that that would be healthier for the church, for there to be more than one voice, that the church would not be personality driven. Mm-hmm. Um, that were, Those were things that were important to him long before he retired. Um, and so he brought Dave in and they shared um, the preaching and it, it was and is very healthy for the church to you know, did not be um, focused around one person or one personality. Um, the the other aspect of it um, is, you know, just the humility of of watching those two guys walk through the process because it is kind of messy, and I don't know that there's any formula uh, for transition that is right for you know every church. I think it can look quite different, but the the humility where you know where you have two guys who are willing to put um, what is good for the church ahead of their own interests is um, inspiring. And, yeah. uh, it's, and it is contagious. You know, you see one guy do it, the other guy does it. And it makes me want to do it in the role that I'm now in. And um, our staff notices it. And so, um, you know, I, I guess that seems obvious, but it's hard, right? I mean, it's Yeah, it's it is. I mean, we've been through a similar thing at Connexus Church, and I agree, the mission is central, and you have to have a sense of humility. I mean, it's, it's, it's non-negotiable for that. Wow. And how has that felt for you in the process? You know, as a young leader who, who has been teaching for 14 years, is it really possible to have a sense of team without a sense of rivalry or competition? Like, what are the ingredients that makes that work? Well, an example of what worked in the transition well, this very practical, is so that when Bob transitioned out, he he said, hey, we didn't ask him to do this. He insisted on it where he wouldn't come to church here for a year. And mm. um, he was going to come and do funerals when asked and when that would be helpful. And we were always glad for him to do that. Yeah. Uh, but but other than that, for, for a year, he never worshipped here. And... Um, he felt like that was important for the church. That was a, in hindsight, that was a really significant sacrifice for him. Yeah. And, um, you know, because he, he started this church, their closest friends were in this church, his family, his sons and their families went to this church. Um, but, but he was willing to kind of set aside, you know, set that aside because he knew it would be healthy for, for the, the church. He was right. Amazing. That's an example of just the, the practical, way what that looks like you know you can say be humble and everyone mm. nods but when it looks like that it gets a, a little bit more difficult no that's really helpful so for a leader like yourself i mean moving from a church plan of under a thousand which is significant you know moving into a very very large church and having responsibilities for being one of the main communicators and also carrying part of the leadership load what have been some of the biggest challenges for you in in that season at Southeast this season? You know, uh, about six months or so after I started in this role, I felt pretty disillusioned and uh, was kind of thinking, "What did I get myself into?" I, you know, uh, yeah, I I wasn't sure why th- that was the case. And what I learned, which is a big difference between a church of a thousand and a church at that time of you know fifteen thousand was um, how you relate to the people 
you're preaching to. And I didn't right. know I was, I didn't mean to do this, didn't know I was doing it, but I had in many ways removed myself from the direct one-on-one interaction uh, with the people in the church. I mean, I was working more with the staff and I was working more in meetings and leadership. And, and then I uh, one day was studying the passage of scripture for a sermon where um, Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood. And it just says of her, it says that seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Um, mm. and, and that phrase immediately revealed to me, you know, what God, what I was missing that God had called me to do. And that is to, you know, to make sure people don't go unnoticed that, that I needed to find ways within a church this size to love people one at a time, to learn names and to know stories in a church plant. That's a really easy thing to do. You, you have to, you don't, you're relying on them. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And, um, and in a church like this, that, that is something you have to be intentional with. And that made a big difference for me. I, I, you know, I quickly was able to give my heart, uh, to, to what God was doing here, but I needed to I needed to engage more personally. Um, I needed to be praying for people by name. I needed to know of you know challenges and struggles that people in the things again that within a church plant all came naturally. Um, I needed to be more intentional with in in this context. No, that's a really good point because with size it can become very anonymous, very systems oriented. So in a very large church, how do you do that? How do you actually, like, how did you reconnect and how do you stay connected? Because I think, you know, particularly even if you're in a church of four, five, six hundred, right? You used to know everybody's name. Now you don't know everybody's name. You used to know everyone's dog's name. Now you don't know everybody's dog's name anymore. And, you know, you feel like a lot of leaders, particularly people with pastor's hearts, they feel like it's unfair to like know 10 people when you should really know everybody. How, How do you navigate that? You know, a few things that I did that um, really helped me was one, instead of hanging out in the lobby and greeting a thousand people on a weekend and shaking a lot of hands, I um, I started to line up you know, anyone who you know wanted to meet or prayer or whatever. I, I, I would line that up uh, before and after services. So, you know, even now, that's what I'll do. I'll have between services, I'll meet with three or four people, 10 minutes, you know, 10, 15 minutes each and and pray for them and write down their name and get, you know, get a better understanding of what's going on in their life. And and so I, I intentionally kind of moved out of the uh, meet and greet uh, mentality. And shake factory. Yeah. Yeah. And I still try to do that some because I, I do think that stuff is important. But um I I think in the long run that that it adds up, right? Like you do, you you connect with people more personally, five or six people on a weekend, and you do that for a year, and and that adds up. So uh, I did that, and then the the other thing that that I did was, um, and a lot of churches do this. I just wasn't I just wasn't doing it with this from this perspective. But I, I started uh, just after the services on Saturday night and between services on Sunday morning, started meeting with people who were uh, new to the church or had recently made a decision as a group. So we'll just go around and I'll ask them what, you know, what brought them to church. Was it a life experience or was it a friend and uh, how can I pray for them? And I, I try to just pray for each of them by name and specific to what's going on in their life. And, um, you know, what I discovered is that that, 
that's good for, you know, that's good for me. I, I, mm. I need to do that as a, as a pastor, as a, as a preacher. When I, when I'm having a hard time writing, whether it's a sermon or a book, you know, my, my instinct is I need more time alone, but it's, that's not usually it. It's usually that I need, I need more time. Um, I need to spend some more time with people and and remember, you know, this is, this is what God's called me to. Hey, that's a really, really good advice and a pretty refreshing approach, especially from people who lead large churches. I think, I think that's super encouraging. And I know like even Andy Stanley will meet with certain groups and uh, focus groups from time to time or an individual. And it's sort of that do for one, what you wish you could do for everyone, which is really, yeah. really good. So you mentioned writing. Um, tell me why you started writing. Why did you decide to write books? Cause you've got what five under your belt now? Uh, yeah. 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 So I, I've always manuscripted my sermons. I've always liked writing. So I would, mm-hmm. for years I would write it out. And, um, and, and then I, uh, had finished preaching a, a sermon series on, on not a fan. And we had a guy in our church, um, who, uh, for that, at that time worked for Zondervan, his name's Don Gates. And he, he mm. came and he introduced, introduced himself to me and he said, Hey, if you want to turn that into a book, I I'll get that published for you. And I'm like, well, go. Okay. You know, that uh, <laughs> I, I had not really thought too much about it before then. And, uh, just because there, you know, there's so many books out and just like, who's gonna, I, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be good at shopping it and trying to make it happen. And so I didn't really think too much about it. Um, but when that door opened, I, I became, you, you know, I, I, it was a great opportunity. Here's the, here's what really inspired me to do it though, is I had, I don't know who said this, but someone said that preaching is God's truth through personality. Hmm. And that really helped me to understand why my voice, you know, how God could use my voice, because it's easy to say, man, I don't, I don't really know it. it you know, there's yeah. great preachers out there. And, and, and yet I've learned that, you know, it's God's truth through personality. He uses each of us in unique ways based upon not just what is true, but who he made us to be. And I've discovered that that's true in writing as well. You mm. know, even in writing a book about grace, it's easy to say, man, there's a lot of books about grace. And now, c- topic never been covered before, right? right. Grace. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that's also, um, where, you, you know, the, uh, a unique, um, who God made you and I uniquely to be comes into play. And so, um, I, and I saw that in the writing process that, um, you know, it's not just information that's being put on a page, but it's, it's God's truth through personality. So one thing is you take a sermon series, you convert it into a book, which is, you know, quite common these days, but walk us through your writing process. You, you kind of came through it by accident the first time. Is that what normally happens? It's just you write it as a sermon series first and then turn it into a book? Or, or what? what is the process for you? So, like, I, I'm looking at two things when I'm considering, you know, what to write on. One is, you know, the in you through you idea that, um, you know, what God does in you, he'll most effectively do through you. I think that's right. Um, hmm. You know. If, if it's something that has uh, taken place in, in me, if it's a journey he's had me on, it's if it's a conviction I've been under, uh, there's something that happens where he's able to communicate that through me in a way that's different than when I'm just, you know, rely, relaying things that, you know, maybe are important, but may not 
have had a huge impact on my life personally. So, so that's one piece of it. And then the other piece is, you know, being able to preach at a church where you can hear the stories of, um, of people who have, um, whose lives have been influenced or impacted by a certain message is a, is a great help, right? Because I don't, a lot of times I don't predict that very well. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll think, Hey, this is, you know, this is really going to impact or influence and, and not as, not so much. And then other times I don't think it will. And it does. And so I, I, I find that to be a great, um, great help. And what God is doing in me and in our church, I find that he is often doing in, in others as well. No, I think, I think that's a good point. So are you a morning writer, Kyle, or do you just write during the day or like, what is your daily discipline (laughs) when you're writing? Mm, You know, I am, I don't know the right way to say this. I, I am a, uh, a, uh, OCD writer. (laughs) That's great. I, I don't, uh, I don't, have a great discipline. Once I get in the flow, I stay in the flow and bills don't get paid and food doesn't get eaten and, uh, everything becomes neglected in my life until it's finished. And, uh, it's probably a horrible model and not one that anyone should follow. I wish it was different. My wife wishes it was different, (laughs) but that is in fact, uh, the case. So, so yeah, I'll, um, you know, I'll kind of get going on it and and you'll obsess over it. Like the the mad artist, right? There is no time. There is no money. There's nothing. Oh, that's kind of cool. You know what? And I think, I think that is what is fun about being in, being able to interview so many pastors, so many writers, so many leaders is like, there is no one size fits all. And I think as long as you're comfortable with that, as long as you're not trying to be, you know, Donald Miller in the writing shed or Mark Batterson in the way he does it, it's just like, no, I'm Kyle. This is what I do. And this is how it works for me. That that's okay. It's just got to work. Right. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Cool. Now, not a fan made a huge impact, uh, like I think far more than you would have ever anticipated. Why do you think that message resonated with so many? I mean, a lot of our listeners have loved that book and, and read it and know you through it. We're introduced to you through it. Um, you know, my, I, <laughs> you know, I mean, you probably have a better perspective on this. I, than I would just because of, of, uh, as a writer and as someone who's interviewed a lot of people, I, I don't know. I, you know, I I really don't. I, if you would have told me that that book would, you know, have a more than a million sold, I I would have never even, you know, I would have been happy with 5,000. So (laughs) I I don't have any idea. It's a great Uh, title. I mean, let's start there. It's a great title, but yeah, you've had other great titles too. Yeah. I I just don't know. I, and a funny thing about like that title, and I don't think you'd mind me sharing this, but, um, so after I had turned in the manuscript, I was asking for endorsements. And one of the people I asked an, endor- an endorsement for was from Max Lucado. And sure. he had preached at our church a number of times. And so, you know, I had asked, he said, yeah, he'd, he'd be glad to do that. And he, but then he sent me a, an email and he said, Hey, you know, unsolicited advice, um, you know, the, from a, for not a fan, um, may, maybe choose a title that is more specific. And so people know exactly what it is. And, um, you know, he said in his experience that that was a good way to go. Yeah, well, he sold a few books, hasn't he? I think Max, exactly a couple. So I, yeah. I quickly thought, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> uh, but there was nothing I could do about it at that point. It, it was it was a done deal. And then, you know, maybe six months after the book came out, he, as as, um, as he would, he, he emailed me and said, uh, 
Hey, remember what I said about uh, the book title? <laughs> Never mind. I think that title is great. I'd go with that one. And, um, you know, but, but that to me just kind of demonstrates the, I don't know, it, it, it can feel a lot like what the Bible would describe as, you know, the, you, you, you cast out the seed, but you're not exactly sure how God's going to use it. And I, yeah. I tell people, you know, from a writing standpoint, you, you know, do it because because you love it and because you believe in it, because God's done that in your life. And then you offer it up to him and and um, and see what happens. But, you know, ultimately you 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 want your spirit to be where it is. A, it's an offering anyway. I love your answer, Kyle. And that's so honest. And thanks just for being so transparent on that. And I mean, there's so much in there for people because I know there's a lot of budding content creators out there who are like, hmm, should I publish? Should I blog? Should I start this? And I think you discover what you've said certainly resonates with my experience, which is I try to write two fresh posts a day. And there are times where I, or not a day, sorry, a week, a week, a day, my, my brain would break, a week. Uh, and there are times where I swear this one is going to be read by, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people and like crickets. And then other times you're like, I don't even think I should publish this. But hey, said I was going to, you know, it's not evil. So I'll just hit publish and yeah. and it takes off and it and God uses it to reach, you know, many, many, many people. And I am a terrible predictor of what's going to work. And what I've learned in that is just if you're called to write, write. If you're called to publish, publish. And you have to trust right. God with the outcome, right? I think that's right, man. I do. I think you're right on. Well, cool. So tell us about the new book. It's called Grace is Greater, and it is just out. Uh, what made you write it? What uh, What moved you? You know, one of the things, um, I don't know who said this, but they, they said the challenge of a communicator is to um, take the familiar and make it new or take mm. the new and make it familiar. And... Um, you know, in a subject like grace, similar to like not a fan with, with following Jesus, is taking something that is familiar to people and helping them look at it again, kind of through a fresh lens uh, from a different perspective. And I saw, you know, the need for this in, in our church, um, where it was a subject that we talked about quite often. It was a word that, you know, was used quite a bit. We defined it, we taught on it. Um, and yet I, knew that the real challenge was to help people experience it. Mm. You know, the, the comparison I would make is to like romantic love. If, if you want to understand romantic love, you can open up a science textbook and understand the chemical and neural responses to those feelings. But that doesn't really tell you much. You, you need to yeah. fall. In. And, and I think grace is similar in that way. And, um, that it, it needs to be experienced. Uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen says, you know, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And, hmm. and that idea of misses is, you know, see to it that no one fails to receive or fails to obtain. It's, it's not, um, it, it's not a word that goes to just, uh, a intellectual understanding. Um, so I, I really felt convicted that, um, that that was important for us as a, as a church here is that we don't want to just teach on the subject and mm -hmm. talk about the subject. We want people to experience it. And it, it, it came out of, um, it came out of that conviction. No, I'm glad you raised that Kyle, because I think, you know, whatever content you're creating, whether you're a preacher, whether you're a writer, a blogger or whatever, a lot of us go, Oh, grace, that subject has been covered immensely. I don't need to write on it. Or what am I going to say about leadership? So tell me, 
Why did you tackle grace and what was in your mind the unique angle that said, okay, this is this is the angle I want or the approach I want to look at grace through? Can you can you walk us through that? Because I think you're right. You've already said it. There's a lot of books on grace. So what what was the angle and what was the thing that you're like, ah, this is this is the turn that's worth talking about? I had two different uh, focuses. One was the experience side of it. As I, mm. I, I really felt like uh, there was space for uh, for people to experience grace, and and I, I tried hard to keep that as a, a thread throughout it. Is um, is helping people connect their story to the the subject, so it's not you know it, it's not just subject matter, but it right. it uh, was connecting in that way. But the other side of it was that this idea that grace flows. So so much of what I read about grace dealt mostly on. Um, the vertical grace, where we are receiving God's grace and what that looks like and what that means. But um, but what I saw within the church and, um, you know, within my community was just a need to be able to, to give grace to people. I, I am amazed at the hurt, the bitterness, the anger, the resentment um, that a lot of people carry because of things that were done to them uh, that were not mm. right and were you know, not acceptable. And we're, you know, we're a big deal. And, uh, and now it, you know, it affects their relationship with God. It uh, infects their relationship with other people. And so I wanted to keep the the book focused on how grace flows, that it's, it's something we receive, uh, but biblical grace doesn't, it, it has to flow. It has to um, pour out of us. And, you know, what does that look like within a, a church community? So, um, so I, I tried to spend a lot of time focusing on on not just the grace we receive from God, but the implications uh, for us and the grace we're to give towards others. No, that's good. That's a that's a great angle and a much needed angle. Uh, Kyle, where can people find out more about you, and where can people find out more about the book? You know, uh, probably it would be easiest just to go to kyleidelman dot com. I think okay. that'll have the connection. Everything there their books or whatever. Uh-huh. Kyle, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, what a great and honest conversation with Kyle. Kyle, thank you so much for that. If you want more, you can just go straight to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 131. Hey, subscribers, you know what happens, right? Well, if you subscribe, you get this in your inbox every Tuesday. So we're on every major platform. We are on Google Play. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Wherever you get your podcast, just subscribe. It's absolutely free. And then whenever we launch a podcast episode, you've got it on your phone Every Tuesday, it goes with you wherever you go. Okay, you want one more podcast that I'm listening to these days? This one's fairly new. I've just dove a couple of episodes into it. But Fortune Unfiltered with Aaron Task. Just Fortune is in Fortune Magazine Unfiltered. Fascinating conversations with top business leaders. And I don't know, I just love that kind of stuff. So there's a couple of bonuses, Making Oprah and uh, Fortune Unfiltered. So that's what I'm listening to. Plus lots of others like Andy Stanley's Leadership Podcast. If you have not heard his interviews with Horst Schultze, unbelievable, unbelievable. That alone is is worth the podcast. It's incredible. Andy's done an unbelievable job. So, And lots of other podcasts I listen to as well. So, um, hey, I just thought I'd share a little bit of that with you. We are back next week with a fresh episode. I think you're going to love it. In fact, it went so well, we only got it half done. And in the future, maybe next year, I'm going to have him back and we're going to do more. It's Greg Atkinson. And here's just a sample 
of the conversation about what it's like to be a secret shopper at a church. If somebody has returned for a second time guest visit, that is huge. And that means they are intrigued. They are interested. You didn't scare them off the first time. Those are the people that we need to assimilate and and focus on and follow up with those second time guests. I worked with even my own home church here. I was in a staff meeting and uh, they were coming up with new communication cards and they showed me the the design for what they were going to get printed. And it just said first time guests. And I said, you need to track second time guests. And they said, well, we don't track that. And I looked them dead in the eye and I said, you need to. Well, that's coming up next week. And again, if you subscribe for free, you get that absolutely free. Hey, if this has been um, a benefit to you, would you share it on social media, let a friend know, or leave a rating or review on iTunes? That would be phenomenal. And just remember, our two conferences that I'm so passionate about, Rethink Leadership and the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, rates go up this week. So get over to RethinkLeadership.com or CanadianChurchLeadersConference.com and make sure that uh, you get in before it's too late. And we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.